and uh, that's fine. But the other one came and told us, oh, he's a snake. And uh, if you are tough enough, just gather all his things, go and keep him by the riverside, and I'm going to transform him back into the snake so that he can go. At that point in time, the two of us took that decision that we've had enough of other rubbish, and that if that child is a snake because he is suffering, then it means even ourselves, we are snakes, and we're not going to do that. Welcome to the show. I am your host, Anya Fombad, and I spark the heart conversations that challenge questionable cultural and societal norms that threaten the well-being of the African community. And I also share stories about growing up as Africans in Africa and in the diaspora. I strongly believe that normalizing open discussions and sharing experiences, whether good or bad, will not only make you find your voice, but will broaden your sense of purpose and empower others to do the same. So if you have ever tried challenging certain African cultural and societal doctrines, or if you have ever felt like it is about time that we confronted these issues in our African community and do better as a people, or even if you have always been interested in learning about the experiences of other Africans growing up in Africa and the diaspora, then you are in the right place. Welcome to Living African. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Living African. Today we will be talking about a topic that is very dear to my heart and to the heart of my family. Actually, this is the first time that we are actually sitting together to talk about such a very sensitive topic. And honestly, it's only those who are closer to me or very close to us that are really aware of this. And we felt like it was very important to share our story and to inspire and encourage every other person or family going through the same issue. So today we will be talking about the realities that families with special needs children face. And I have here with me my family, that's my parents and my siblings. And we will have that chance to share our experience so far with our brother. So if you can remember, I had my family in one of the early episodes here at Living African and I had introduced them. And we actually are a family of six so I have my mom my dad and then I have an older sister and then I come in second and then I have a junior brother and then I have another brother who actually is a special needs child so we're gonna talk about our experiences growing up with him and how that has impacted us and inspired us to make certain decisions in life and also encourage other families that are going through a similar situation and hope that you know, our message can be passed successfully and you guys can learn a lot from our experiences. So I have my family here with me, mom, dad, Leslie and Musaga. Welcome to the show. How are you guys doing? Good. Thank you. Great. (laughs) All right. So we're just going to go straight into the questions. So a brief intro about my brother, Bayong. Bayong actually was born. He's the last born to the family. And I think I'll just hand it over to mom and dad for you guys to tell his story because I don't want to take away from that story. So tell us his birth story and what caused his disability. So I'll go first with you, mom, since you are the one who birthed him. 
Thank you, Anyo. Thank you, children and my dear husband, for giving me this opportunity to maybe open the floor. We can talk about it laughing these days, but it's never been an easy route for us. Bao is 29 and a half years old today, but his pregnancy, unlike other pregnancies that I've had, was most challenging because I would say his story started at the age of five months pregnancy. And that was the strange thing that I felt that I was having contractions at different intervals. Sometimes they come very early in the morning, sometimes it's in the afternoon, or other times it's at night. And um, nobody could understand what was going on. I myself, being of the medical field, was a little bit challenging even to understand that that was my fourth pregnancy. I was going through that. Also strange was the fact that for every other child that I've had, the three of you, I gave birth a week before. But for him, he was overdue by two days. And uh, I remember myself asking the gynecologist of blessed memory, uh, Dr. Nana Obed, um, who was very close to us and uh, who has been the one that has been monitoring all my pregnancies. I told him I didn't feel all right. And I actually asked for a cesarean section, even though there was no indication. So when he gave me the time that I should get to the hospital, when the, the, the due date was passed by one day, so I told him, I said, okay, I asked for the cesarean section. You didn't want because it was not the due date. But now it's passed by one day. So I need it because I was really feeling abnormal. And uh, what he told me was I should get to the hospital the next day very early. He was going to induce it. And um, while we got ourselves prepared, my husband and myself, you guys were very young and uh, these were not things we could share with you at your tender ages. Um, that very night, I started feeling the pains again. And when I felt this time, we actually went to the hospital. And uh, the nurses said, yes, you truly in labor. What happened that night was the fact that I could walk into the delivery room. But, you know, as it is the custom with us, when you go for delivery, they usually give you some kind of enema so that uh, you don't have to, to pull during the process. And this I was, this was back in Cameroon, right? Sure. So I found out that uh, when I climbed on the delivery bed and the nurses came with the enema, from my waist downwards, it was like I've been given some sort of anesthesia, and so I wasn't feeling anything. And uh, at that point in time, I started crying. And I don't know for what reason. And I said, it looks like I'm going to die. And the nurses said, no, sometimes it happens. So because I wasn't even moving from my waist downward, so my husband came in and uh, tried to assist them. So I was now, I couldn't have the enema because, I mean, I couldn't go to the toilet. But the good thing is, within two hours, the baby came out very energetic and they cried for a short time, was sucking his fingers. I'm going through these details because after 29 and a half years, they're still very vivid to me. I couldn't understand why I had that state of health. I couldn't even understand why after two weeks, my son is where he is today. But cut a long story short, after that, we went to the, the ward 
And uh, the doctor came in the morning and uh, he was happy that he didn't have to do the induction. But I told him, I said, since I'm not able to walk, at that point in time, if he put me out of bed and I was standing, I could walk, but I can't get out of bed myself. So I told him it would be good that we should go home because, you know, postpartum, you normally uh, bleed a bit. And I said, nobody will understand if I missed the hospital sheets because of my condition and nobody would understand. So he said, okay, it was fine for us to go home. But within a one week or a few days of arriving home, I came down with a serious fever, which again, nobody could understand, but it didn't appear to be any infection or if it was, it was viral that they couldn't dictate anything. That ended and we said the child is already two weeks. He was not circumcised and we went my husband went to the hospital. The nurse who circumcised my first son was the same we contacted and said, get ready for us. And we went and um, got him circumcised. The first thing is that during the circumcision, he was wounded. We don't understand why. But immediately after that, that was the beginning of trouble for him. I still remember the date. It was the 9th of April. And um, just around the Easter period. So we just could not understand. A very energetic child who was suckling very well. When we got back home, he stopped suckling. And by the next day, he was foaming from his mouth. And that was the beginning of the, the, the struggle with him. But maybe at that point in time, we were not even thinking that this is where he was going to end because we quickly went back to the hospital and saw the pediatrician. He said, no, he would rather admit the child. I mean, he thought maybe we gave on him something. what day was that? When uh, No, it, it happened on the 9th and uh, the, on the 10th, we went back to the hospital and we were admitted. So he thought that maybe we gave him some sort of sedation. And I said, two-week-old uh, child, why would we even sedate a, a two-week-old child? Whatever the condition. We've had other kids that have kept us up for six weeks without any sleep, and we didn't sedate them. Why would we? But anyway, he was admitted. And uh, things seemed to have been fine. But on the fourth day, towards midnight... This child, if he was in his cord or in front of the edge of the bed, we would have picked him from the ground. He gave a loud cry, and that was the beginning of his twitching. Twitching was just abnormal signs. It started with his right eye, and then the right hand, the three last fingers were twitching. But the funny thing was... It was only me and my husband seeing what was happening. When the doctor comes, sometimes he comes and stays for hours. It would not happen. One time, one of the nurses was able to witness what I was saying. So at that point in time, everybody thought the problem was me. Other colleagues said, no, you know, children at this age, they usually mimic uh, different things. And so just calm down. And I said, no, there's something wrong with my child. And I'm here to tell you people that there's something wrong. You're not witnessing it. I'm seeing it. So when the nurse saw it, she was able to tell the doctor what she saw. But each time we, we sat by and tried to talk to the, to the doctor, we found out that he could not see the manifestations. Immediately he leaves, our son will start twitching. 
So it, it took place, and we were in the hospital for about three weeks. We eventually left. We were referred to Yaoundé. Bansa, actually. Yes, yeah, sorry. We went first to BBH. Uh, BBH. And um, there was uh, one Canadian doctor there. She also did an ultrasound of the brain, and they couldn't find anything. And uh, all the medications that he was given, nothing could sedate him. Nothing could stop the convulsions. At that point in time, because I went through that period of trying to convince people that something was wrong with him and every other person was not seeing it. Of course, my husband is not a medical person. Even though he saw it, he also believed, like the other colleagues, that it was temporary and things were going to be normal. So I eventually went into very deep, depression at that point because nobody would see my own part of the story. However, to not take so much time because this is a whole life story we're talking in one hour or a couple of minutes, we eventually found ourselves in the referral hospital in Yaoundé. After, actually, after we left... Uh, Banso. Banso, we went to Douala. Yeah. Had consultations in... Um, in, in Douala, from Douala, we went to Yaoundé, Yaoundé General Hospital. From the General Hospital, we then went to the uh, Central yeah. Hospital, yeah. and after that, we came back home. And at each point in time, um, no anticonvulsant medication could really control the, the, the seizures. Yeah. Yes. And uh, as time went on, we found out that our son could not even sit up. He could not even hold his neck. He was like, you know, if he held him, the neck would fall backward till it's almost meeting the, 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 back. the back or anything that can support it. So up to the age of two and a half years, our son could not see. And so all of that added really put me in particular into a deep depression. And I, I believe that my, my husband eventually also, when he saw what our son was going through, he also, I was depressed. Um, you know, it, it becomes so emotional, and he's crying, but I hope I can hold my tears to, to continue talking. And so now at this point in time, the attention was diverted. A lot of people told us that it could only be traditional medicine that could help uh, the situation which we went from one traditional healer to the other. And each time point in time where we went, it was like tearing us apart. If you have been to those people, they tell you, oh, it's some family member that is responsible, it's some friend that is responsible, or it's, it's, you. it's you who is responsible, or it's because one of us is cheating on the other, you know. And then the worst one was one of the doctors told us that, well, there were two. One said they were supposed to be twins, but the other twin did not materialize. That's but, fine. These are stories which usually come out of the African setting. Yes, and uh, that's fine. But the other one came and told us, oh, he's a snake, and uh, if you are tough enough, just gather all his things, go and keep him by the riverside, and I'm going to transform him back into the snake so that he can go. At that point in time, the two of us took that decision that we've had enough of other rubbish, and that if that child is a snake because he is suffering, then it means even ourselves, we are snakes, and we're not going to do that. And so we stopped any further interference in our lives. We took a decision that nobody, 
whosoever. We never really went out to look for these uh, traditional healers. They were friends who were yeah. suggesting to us. That suggesting we to us plus family members and who thought that we were being stubborn and we didn't want to help our child. But each time we came back from there, you know, we had something that was either going to depress us or was going to make us start fighting. But thank God that I've always believed that our relationship was not just a street relationship. It was a relationship out of love, was a relationship out of conviction. Otherwise, we would not be sitting around this table today talking with you guys. We would have been talking from different homes and different environments. And so when we took that decision that we're no longer going to listen to some of them. I know the last set of native doctors that were brought to our home were brought by my late uncle, Pfizer. And uh, when we saw them, I was actually outside the house uh, doing some laundry. So when we saw them coming and I told him in the dialect, I said, please, those people are not going to enter our house. We've made up our mind. We don't welcome them. And uh, I called your dad who was in the house. I said, please come and help them from, you know, where we're so living in Utaka. To, to drop them. Yes. And uh, he can tell you the rest of the story, what they said in the car. Unfortunately, they, they, were, they were talking in the, the Bansal language that I understand. And they were saying that they knew that this journey would not be a very successful one. So I took them, went and dropped them and gave them transport to go back. And we said we were not entertaining, but people continuously harassed us that, look, we should do this. And that's how we ended from then. We never listened to any persons again. But then it turned another phase because we started going to prayer houses. And I'm sure that you people can remember that for almost three months, I was not uh, staying, at home. staying at home. And this again was conviction. And I remember that when I asked daddy that I know this lady who is doing prayers and I know a little bit about her background. And he said, well, God can use any person to perform his miracles and do his work. So we went there and we eventually became hostage. And um, it didn't end also well because she took her. other things, there was money we were being exploited, but also trying to divide the family. Saying that uh, your granddad was responsible at one point, and then the other time is my sister. So what did we not hear? And and then at one point, it turned out, oh, is your dad who is lining up the whole family, and the whole family was going to be sacrificed? So all of that, we just pulled out from there. So those are the type of things that happened in an African setting where, you know, you have people trying to convince you about things that you don't believe in because we never really believe, but people will come and talk and talk and we say, okay, let's go and try. And we go and it's always a, a very serious failure on, an, on their part. And uh, the people tell them different things and we, that we don't want to hear. So that's what happens in an African setting that people have to really get out of it. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure that uh, all of you are shocked to even listen to us talk because we've never really talked about it. And uh, um, yes, we eventually left from there. But, you know, back in Cameroon, unlike other African countries, you really don't have counseling centers which we very much needed. So we were abandoned to ourselves with our problem. But somehow God still looks for ways to 
provide help. And uh, you've always heard us talk about Parkemgu, Parkemgu. That is the channel through which God gave us some spiritual counseling to help us to come out of that depression. I remember sometimes you guys were the ones say, oh, mommy, you're going to work, you've not combed your hair. It was just as bad as that through the days of my depression that it didn't even bother me that I should dress or to put any makeup or anything on my body, let alone to even remember that I've not combed my hair. But we still had to make the family move. And so this is how the story went. And uh, uh, Park Engu and his team, they came. came. Sometimes they would sleep with us. They would be doing night prayers. They would take us to church and organize evening prayers where the whole church is praying. And then eventually, we also went to the Emmanuel Sisters in Bafut. If you remember, Jabi and Ma, you were a fan of uh, late sister, sister yeah. Jane. It was because sister of... Jane. Okay. Yes, it was because of Bayong that we found ourselves in Emmanuel Sisters and you eventually met them. So during uh, the holidays, they were very helpful. They took you guys, the girls, to try to relieve us of the issues that we were going through. Having three children to take care of who were very young and a very sick one. Then, of course, there were other family members. But that kind of built us up and eventually uh, I came around. And just want to pause here to say that your dad has been a very wonderful husband to me because... He started another set of counseling on me, which he might not have noticed, but every woman had something to do to distract me, either work-wise or, you know, something that I would come out of the house. He would just go ahead and register me. And that's how, if you notice, we had an NGO called Cameroon Medical Women Association. It was thanks to him. He just paid my transport and said, you go. Go join that group. I didn't even know anybody. All I did was that he gave me an address in Limbe where the group was meeting and said he has paid for my subscription and everything. So he started trying to push me out. And eventually, all of those things, with the fact that I was too busy with the advent of uh, HIV AIDS and talking to the people, he was helping me to write projects so that I had funding to go about talking to people. That kind of made me uh, forget the challenges that we're having at home with Bayon. That was the only child that could not even soccer at my breast because each time he tried to, he went into crisis. And so it was very painful. It was like he's going to cut my nipple. And so eventually he never really had that opportunity to, to be there. All right. Well, thank you so much, mom and dad, for that story. I mean, I know, mom, we've had a couple of conversations in the past, so I'm pretty familiar with some of the things that you said. But I'm very sure that Ma, Leslie and Musaga probably have not heard a lot of the things that you guys said. I don't know, dad, if you wanted to add a lot, anything else to what we're talking about before we move on. I just said that uh, we had a lot to do particularly with the influence from the public. You see that they were always sympathizing with us and wanting us to try to solve the problem that we never really solved by taking us all around to the the traditional people, as mom said, but we never believed in them and they tried to convince us. Then, of course, we had a tour of almost all the hospitals in Cameroon that uh, they never solved our problem. At, at the end, we just decided to come back home. 
Right. And that's where we were. Yeah. I mean, I I can only imagine what you guys went through. I mean, it's every parent's joy to bring in a new life into the world, you know, and I can imagine the joy that you guys had bringing in Bayong into the world because he was obviously a blessing. And like you said, he was born very okay, very energetic. And all of this happened actually, you know, about two weeks. He was born in March, actually. So this happened like April, like, you know, almost mid-April after he was born and after he was circumcised. So I can only imagine the confusion and the devastation that you both went through as a parent. I believe it's every parent's nightmare to see their child suffer and go through everything. I can only imagine how helpless you guys were. And there are a few things that you guys said that just reminded me of of this. There's this page on Facebook, The Land of Hope, that I follow. And it's this lady who actually, well, she and her husband, they live in Nigeria. They live in a, a rural area in Nigeria. And they build this uh, very um. big campus called Land of Hope, where they rescue children. Because in that area, it's very common for parents, you know, parents who give half their kids and let's say they start having financial hardship after having that child or someone in the family is sick or if the child is sick and stuff like that, they actually believe in they have this very intense superstitious beliefs that the child is a witch or a wizard and is a cause of their you know, financial demise or whatever issue they're going through. So they actually send the children away or they try to kill the children and the children run away from the house and they're left in the street. Some of them are very, very hungry and, and some of them even die. They have severe infection. So this woman and this lady, her husband and her team, they go and save these children, you know, and it just reminded me of that when you said that you guys, were taken to herbalist or traditional doctor who was telling you guys that Bayong is a snake and you should go keep him somewhere and he's going to turn him into a snake or something like that. God knows that if you guys were not as educated, I don't even know what would have happened to him. I don't even think he would have been alive today because I, I mean, you guys are both you know, doctors, PhDs and doctor of medicine, and you guys have the highest level of education, but just out of desperation to see your child you know, be back to normal and live a normal life. You guys were willing to literally even forego your scientific beliefs and try other ways of, you know, helping that child, which I I can only imagine how it felt, especially when you guys did not even believe in that, but you just gave people who were trying to, to help in their own way, in their own, maybe primitive way. You guys were trying to give them a chance to see if anything can come out of it. So I can only imagine if you guys were brainwashed by all these traditional doctors and you ended up maybe even putting Bayong out by the river or, you know, doing something to him that he probably would not have been alive today. So to an extent, it it gives me a different perspective about what you know, families go through and how some people make decisions that, you know, end up being very devastating, but they don't even know what they're doing, you know, because of the intense influence from the community. And I can only imagine like back then, this is something that was new to everybody. And especially with the seizures, the convulsions and stuff like that. A lot of people, I remember growing up, the lady who you guys were saying that, you know, was praying with you guys. I remember her and I, and I believe she's the one who instilled in her mind that, you know, every seizure that Bayong had was an attack from the devil. So growing up, we were actually, it was very normal, common language for us. When Bayong was having a, a seizure, we would say the baby's having an attack, you know, like an attack from the devil. So things like that, you know, it, it kind of 
gave us this, it almost kind of channeled the way we think and the way we reason. And it gives me an, a better understanding to know that it's very easy for people, especially people who are vulnerable in a vulnerable situation like you guys were. It's very easy for people to be swayed into different directions just out of desperation to help, you know. So, I, I mean, I just thank God and I thank you guys for being strong and sticking to your values and your beliefs regardless at the end of the day because Bayong is here today he's alive today and thanks to you guys so i wanted to know from you know all of us how this experience with Bayong impacted us i mean i can go first because i mean i'm already talking so i might as well just go first so i mean growing up we didn't really understand a lot but i know that we asked a lot of questions especially me who always was very inquisitive. I asked a lot of questions. I was always asking why Bayon could not play with us. I was always asking why he was having an attack as we called it when we were growing up. You know, I was always it, it was so hard for me to understand why he wasn't traveling with us, taking trips with us, going on holidays with us, you know. And I feel like for me and and Leslie, we had to grow up really fast, especially because we had to, 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 to learn at a very early age how to take care of him, how to nurture him and stuff like that. So we were not few people in the house. We were always a lot of us in the house. So there was always much help, but it was always a joy when we saw him, you know, even make a little progress, like sit up by himself or you know, like just even play with us. Like we, we, we really wanted to play with him and it was hard for us to really understand. So, I mean, in our childhood, those are the questions that I have. And I believe we would address, you know, other issues and experiences that we had, you know, growing up with him. But it, for me personally, it was always so hard for me to talk about to my friends and explain to my friends because I did not understand myself, you know. So it was just a topic that I really did not like to talk about. So I'll give the floor to Ma and or Leslie to talk about it. Um, I must say, like most of the things mom and dad mentioned were a bit um, new to me. <laughs> um, I did know that he had a problem from the age of two weeks. Um, not to say that we really knew the details of how it commenced, but um, we did all notice the paraplegia or, shall I say, weakness on one side of his body. However, growing up, for me, like thinking back, I vividly remember how our parents went through like a whole lot of medical checkup, like through the entire Cameroon. Um, some of the stories they mentioned, um, we even I remember things like even mad people coming to, well, when I say mad people, schizophrenics who roam the streets in Cameroon, some of them will come and even give input and say things about him. And, um, and yeah, I certainly remember um, spending, literally staying at this lady's house, or should I say a church, where um, we used to pray for him. And, well, it turns out she wasn't even a um, follower of Christ, so to say. Um, but in terms of how I was affected by all of this, it was quite hard to find, to like not get him involved in a lot of things that we used to do, like Javi said. For me, I always just like later on going through med school, especially when I teach neurology, I always try to find out what really could have been the problem. So 
um, going through my neurology lectures, I just always came back to mom, like asking her so many questions about like what happened to him, because trying to understand whether, <clears throat> sorry, he had like a hypoxic brain injury at um, birth or something that led him to have all the seizures or whatever. So it was a bit difficult. We kept trying to put a diagnosis to what was going on with him. But, like, he, he just never fit in any of them in terms of diagnosis per se. And it's been quite challenging. But, like Daniel said, uh, we're just grateful to God for where he is currently. And um, every day is different, but we just keep trusting God for the best for him. Well, Th- thank you very much for that, Leslie. Um, Saga, what do you have to add? Yeah, like I was going to say, I mean, you guys already captured a lot of the things that um, I personally felt as well. But for me, it was just growing up and even till this day, you know, that being my only brother, I always felt that, that void, you know. Um, it was hard in a way that, I couldn't quite understand. And, and like Ma said, it's different on different days. But it was just always that hope that, you know, one day he would be able to, like, just even say a word back or play with me or, you know, me wondering what life would have been like if things were different for his health. But a lot of the times, too, especially... As I grow up, it's also, <clears throat> sorry, this, this is a hard thing for me to talk about. There's also that feeling of guilt, you know, because that could have been me. And I feel like I get to experience all of these things that he, he never got the opportunity. And uh, it's tough thinking about it and being helpless. But at the same time, I'm, I'm grateful for the family that he was born into and the parents that we had and the strength that you guys had. So, yeah. I, I just let you take back the floor to me. This is definitely not going how it, I planned it to be. <laughs> this is really, really, really very, a very heavy topic for all of us. And like I said, we've never really, we've never really spoken about this. So it's it's a very, very heavy topic. So just bear with us if you hear a few cries and stuff like that. Okay, okay. So mom and dad, how did you guys, how did you guys deal with the questions that we asked, and also the questions that that other people asked you guys in the community um, because I remember, you know, growing up, it's, you know, children who are young are very vulnerable, right? And anything that you tell them, they tend to believe. So I remember one time, I remember one of my cousins, my older cousins came home. This is something I've never really shared with you guys. One of my older cousins came home and, you know, she when, when Bayong had a seizure, she... She she started telling me, and I was very young. She started telling me, like you know, that this child is an obanje. Obanje just means you know, like a 
I don't even know, a witch, a witch, a wizard, I don't know. Like, that's just, I, I don't even know the, the real definition of that. But she kept saying it and kept saying it. And I was like, don't say that, you know, because I was like, I, I didn't understand why she would say something like that. So it was very confusing, you know, especially when it was something that we did not really know about back then. I had never seen anybody that had a seizure. My brother was the first person that I saw that had a seizure. And so... For her to say that, to have said that, it kind of confused me and it almost made me look at him in a kind of way. But then I knew that, you know, if my parents were okay with him, then I was okay with him. So, but I know we always asked you guys questions and stuff like that. So how did you guys deal with those questions that we always asked you guys? Yeah, um, people asked a lot of questions and it was... Uh difficult to respond, you know, because it, it what he was uh, showing as signs were really new things to us and uh, we could we could hardly give any proper answers. Even though Bob of the medical field was also seeing some of those things for her first time that she had read in books. But uh, it was quite confusing because People gave their ideas, particularly the people who were advising us to go to native doctors. And uh, we never really got any proper answers. But people asked, they told us that uh, we should do this, we should do that, we should take the child and leave by the stream, we should uh, forget about him, and uh, we didn't. So it is because of the strong nature that we had that uh, we did not listen to them. But uh, people had the right to make their own comments. Um, I will just add here that at the time that we had made up our minds that um, we were not listening to people, the first things that we were selective of who we were dealing with, especially during our tough times. But I think the most important thing was for us to protect you people. And that's why sometimes if you said, how did we even respond? We had only one hope. I remember Msaga had a series of uh, footballs in the house where he kept one of the best. Time he would come to the bedside and tell the brother, I'm keeping this ball for you to get well and let's play it together. And as time went on, a year passed by, Bayon couldn't even see, he couldn't even walk, he couldn't feed himself. He could not understand. And after two years, he came and took that ball and said, well, you've decided to remain sick. I cannot wait for you anymore. Those were his words that Musaga made, and I'm not even sure he still remembers them. And he took that ball out, even though it was the best ball that he had. By the time he came from playing with his friends, that ball was torn into two. And that was the end of it. He never even asked us for any ball. He never asked for anything. We tried as much as possible not to make you people feel um, abandoned. For Njabi and Ma, I knew that you were two of you. And I think I went a little bit closer to Musaga and that kind of 
caused some tension, and Jabi in particular felt it, that she told even the teacher in the school wow. that mommy yes, had his musaga. If we touch, if we want to get our mom angry, touch musaga. It was that protection, as you could see him burst into tears, that his only brother could not give him the companionship that he very much needed. And I felt that personally I had to protect all of you. I felt that Jabi could talk to Ma at any time. They could recite poems and all those things, but he was alone. And that kind of brought some um, disagreement uh, amongst you people. Maybe Ma was too quiet that she doesn't talk, but I guess that Jabi who talks out definitely was expressing their feelings. It wasn't like we love one child more than the other, but we try as much as possible. Each time we're reprimanding a child for anything, we try as much as possible to give reasons why we're doing what we're doing. And all of that was just because we didn't want any child to be traumatized. We cannot transmit the pain that we are having because of one child on the three of you. And we always say, God, thank you. Thank you that we had first the three children that were apparently normal, according, excuse me, according to the definition of what people call normal, but it gave us strength that there's something to hope for. And finally, uh, it drew us closer to God to know that everything is possible with God. And even right up to today, we still hope that one day, by God's grace, Bayon will be a normal human being. It might never happen during our time, but if he has lived up till now without a bed sore, without anything that shows that he is suffering. He's well nourished. You know that the clothes that Musaka wears, they fit him to show you that even though he is bedridden, he still is growing normally. Uh, yes, we feel bad that we can talk about holidays. We've not taken him. The only reason is if we took him, it was not a problem taking him, but all the amusement that uh, you people were coming, like when you came to join me in Sierra Leone was for a holiday and we're going to the beach. We couldn't take him to the beach. We will not leave him in the house. Somebody will have to sacrifice to stay in the house. And it was a short time that we wanted you people to experience. That was even your first trip out of the country where you knew that you could travel. So we didn't have to put you through that stress. And we were in a foreign land. You cannot entrust him into the hands of anybody. It also went the same that both of you, I think the only person who joined me in Burundi was Ma. But when all of you were coming here, you were coming at different stages. And eventually, it even took me a lot of counseling here to be able to accept that he will be able to travel. And the surprise that we had when we traveled with him was that, that he didn't even feel that he was in a plane. He played with everybody who was catching everybody who was passing nearby. So we made sure that we protected him in the middle so that he would not be sending his hands or his feet to kick people who were passing by. And so 
uh, uh, were able to uh, to travel here, and one of the things we were told was that we should not even trust anybody here to assist us in uh, taking care of him. But as God always works his miracles, we're able to have Sister Emma, who has been helping us for all these years. And uh, so she's more of a family member than just helping us to, to be able to take care of Bayam. You can't imagine the sacrifices that an adult makes for more than 10 years that we've been here with her to, to be with us. In fact, she's been with us for about 14 years. And that's a lot of dedication that she's given her time for him, which... Only few people in this world can do it, can accept that challenge. And right. for how much, there's, that, there's no price for that. And so we might have been dodging in the questions that you used to ask us, but it was more of protecting you people to live a normal life in the heart of all our struggles. We were avoiding you knowing how depressed we are. We are avoiding you knowing when we had some of those tough, heated conversations after people have come and said all sorts of things to try to tear us apart. But sometimes we just go into our rooms and lock up the door and we'll be talking there. But still, that didn't go well all the time because I can remember Ma telling me one time, he said, Mommy, why is why are you people always quarreling? I said, we are not quarreling. Then she said, you think when you go into your room and you're talking, we don't hear, we come and stand at the door and we are listening. And so that again made us um, aware that your well-being, your upbringing, we have to be double careful, no matter how much we were angry because of what somebody said. In the final analysis, the two of us said, all of this is because we've had a child that is sick. The earlier we accept that that is part of our lives, the better for us, rather than let people come into our milieu and try to tear us apart. We never really had those situations where we had to go through any heated uh, talk until the birth of Byron. And we were asking ourselves, are we angry with God for giving us a child? If other people had children who were sick. And other women who had children similar to Bion, they started coming to the hospital, making friends and encouraging us. So all of that built. And one of the persons that you know that has been very close to us is Uncle Dr. Quende. Each time we were in very serious crisis, we would call him to come. Even sometimes he came, I remember the last time he came, he left our home past midnight. And in all that confusion, seeing what Bible was going through, I remember his words, in all my medical practice, I've never seen a case like this. That was what he said. And he left our home. He had an accident just driving into the main road at my age. He was so much absorbed with Byron's condition, what he was going through, that he did not see the oncoming vehicle and he bashed into that uh, that car. He spent some monies, but it wasn't about the money. He even, even though he shared it with daddy, he asked him not to tell me because he also felt that he had to protect me and to give me the opportunity that he was his shoulder we could lean on when we needed him. So we had very limited group of people now that we could trust to talk to. But in everything, we tried as much as possible to protect you people and never to show any anger towards any child. We try as much as possible to show our 100% love towards you people so that you can grow not filling that gap, even though it affected Musaga so much. 
Yeah. Thank you very much, Mom, for and Dad, for sharing all of that and for everyone else. So I would only imagine that, you know, I would not only imagine because I lived it, but for you guys, I would imagine that, you know, while we were growing up, of course, we always had Bayong at the back of our minds, like what's going to happen to him. You know, we always had all of these fears about the future. I personally, I always had this uncertainty, you know, we're going to be traveling and going for holidays. What's going to happen to him? Mom, when you started working for the United Nations at a very tender age, I only imagine how challenging it was for you to leave the entire family and you know, work, even when, I mean, right now you guys live in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And, you know, one of my greatest fears was like, when we all grow up and leave the house, what's going to happen to Bayong? Because he's basically paraplegic, means he's, um, he's, he's paralyzed and he has speech impairment. He can't really speak. He's 110% dependent on someone to take care of him. So, you know, I just wanted us to talk about our fears that we had because, I mean, at the end of the day, I have just realized that, you know, it's all about just taking it one day at a time. But growing up as a kid, even to adulthood, it's always been one uncertain situation after the other. And, you know, things have worked out somehow, but we still have this uncertainty for what the future holds, even till now, especially as you guys are getting old and we're we're basically taking over, you know. So for me, you know, growing up, my greatest fear was just, you know, when we were away from him or, you know, well, first of all, I, w- I, I always wondered when the seizures would stop, especially when I wasn't like scientifically educated enough to really understand what was going on with him. But I still had that hope that he was going to be fine one day. And then when I left Cameroon and he was there, and especially when mom left and then we left for school, my greatest fear was like, how is he being taken care of? Whenever we went for holidays, whenever we traveled out of the country, when we were younger, I, I always wondered like, what's going on with him? How is he doing? How does he feel not seeing us? Like, I've always wondered like, how does he feel when he sees us? I mean, you could tell he's always happy and smiling, but how does he feel feel when we're not there? Does he even know that we're around or like how how does it work you know and right now my greatest fear is like what next what if you guys mom and dad are not around how we're i mean i mean america msaga is in america mine is in south africa how do we come together to keep taking care of him you know when you guys leave ethiopia who's gonna take care of him you know all those things those are questions that i can't answer but those are real questions that you know, at the back of my mind, and those are the fears that I have. So I just wanted us to talk more about, you know, those those fears that we've always had when it has to do with our brother and, you know, his life. So I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Ma. Um, so like you mentioned, there's always the uncertainty about, like, what to expect, especially when he, he like, goes through periods of... Um, where he just has a series of um, seizures which are uncontrollable. So, um, yeah, like, it's just been hard. Like, during those moments, it's been hard, but you you just find yourself praying even harder, you know, just hoping for some kind of a miracle. And then um, other times, you, you just, like, maybe 
you know, it would be better if, you know, like, I don't know what to say, but, like, sometimes you can't help but feel that he's just suffering too much. And you, yeah, you you mostly just pray, but I don't know. It's it's just been difficult and a bit rocky because one minute you think he's fine, then the next minute he's back to a stage where you really don't know what's going to happen, especially when you start hearing things like other kids who grew up as old as he was, like the one kid that we knew, who was who had the same condition like him um like when you start hearing of them passing on you just wonder like what's gonna happen to him and in as much as sometimes you feel the guilt that um we just prolonging his pain and you can't help but feel the void that you feel like he wasn't there so it's just a difficult time and um, irrespective of what he goes through, um, we just keep hoping for the best. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Ma. I don't know if you had anything to say about that, like the fears that you experienced, Musaga. Uh, I mean, it's 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 the same fears that you've highlighted, Jebby. You know, just what's next? What if mom and dad are not there? And, and this gets magnified every time mom and dad have to travel leave buying behind you know um there was one time where they were away and i think Bayon poked his eye so that was really a scare you know that that fear of understanding how much um intricate care he needs um someone that truly understands how important it is for him to take his medicine on time and in a certain condition and give him a certain type of care and so it's it's always trying to balance how we can continue providing him that that support and mom and dad have they make it look easy you know um but none of us have really ever had to handle all of that on our own and that's that uncertainty on okay if they're not here today how would that how would things look like and yeah that's 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 the biggest question that always lingers in my mind oh thank you for that um mom and dad what do you guys have to add about that i think um the principles of life that we've taught you people is that no matter the situation the family stays together uh, for you, the girls, uh, we're proud that you've already settled down and we pray that your homes will be welcoming. For you, Musaga, we pray that you get a partner who will not be there just for you, but will be there for the family. We're talking about Bayon. We don't even know how many years we will live on earth and under what conditions. But you people have seen that it's not just bio. It's also my mom who is here, who is blind. She wasn't blind, you know her very well. She was a very energetic woman, self-reliant. But for the past seven years, she is being on us for everything because she lost her sight. And uh, you know, 
this weekend has been one of the roughest weekends for him, for Bayom and for our mom. And um, what you do is be selfless. We are God's creation here on earth. It's not about money. It's not about where we live. It's about principles. If this is my flesh, this is my blood, I just have the duty to take care of. In fact, when we think of your other two grandparents who passed on, we kept on saying we wish we had the opportunity to have all three of them here with us to show them our own love. It's about love. For Bayon, besides that, I think he's coming into our midst, into the family, open doors for all the blessings that we've had. You all know that Dad and myself could not have sponsored you in the different parts of the world where you are if we did not sacrifice. And that's why I keep on saying that God knows how he pays people. He is more than a hundred husbands because um, at the time where Cameroonian men would not allow their wives to go out, he allowed me to even take this job. This job has given insurance that is helping us to foot part of the bills for biome. And that insurance would continue even when we are not there, as long as the people know what to do, to always contact this office where we're working now to give information about his situation and also to contribute the part that the family contributes. Unfortunately, it might not work in the States, but it can work in South Africa. You all take turns to sacrifice I know this is your own brother. It's the only thing you can give him is that love and nothing else. You would imagine that we still uh, share bed with him because we want to be sure that when he goes into crisis, there's somebody there to help him. Yes, if it's in South Africa, you need an extra hand that you oversee, but we also feed him. And uh, we are not ashamed to change his diapers and bathe him. We're not ashamed of doing that. In fact, it's joy when we do it. And uh, you, you can see, Bayon understands. He understands. When we are not in the house, he will not sleep until we come back. That's just how much he knows that the very people who love him are not there. And I'm sure when he comes, and you people have witnessed it when you are around, he is jumping with his left side of the body that is active, and he is smiling and screaming in his own way. That is his own way. You have to learn his language. Your spouses will have to understand and show him love. If you cannot show love to somebody who needs you, you can build a house, you can have money that will not save. And this is all that we can tell you. Maybe daddy has something to add. But that's all the strength we can give you. People who've taught you to live as one, take care of one another, take care as a family with your spouses, the part we consider for the girls who are married. Your two husbands are our first sons, and that is what a family should be like. 
It's not putting boundaries of this is this person, this is this person. That doesn't work. Yeah, we think that in the absence of anything, if we are not there, you will take care of him. And if you are not able to take care of him, you will get somebody who will be able to do that, and then you will check on him frequently because he needs a lot of supervision. So we believe that your families know the situation and they will not keep you from doing anything that he deserves. So we expect the best that all these years you've done what to do and you will put in all your best so that he can live a normal life that we have given him. Yeah. That's what we think. That, think so. Thank you guys for all of that. So I, I just wanted to, you know, we're going towards the end of this conversation. I just wanted to really, you know, I, I wanted us to look at the brighter side, right? To every storm, there's a rainbow. So yeah, this has not been a pleasant experience that we have had with him all our lives, basically. But I wanted us to really see how this has impacted us. And let's focus on the positive aspects of it. For me, you know, Bayong has taught me a lot about compassion. He has taught me a lot about, especially compassion towards those who, families who have special needs children, towards special needs children. I mean, because of what, of who Bayong was and what was going on with him, I remember that inspired you, mom, especially to, you know, help other children that were in a similar situation, especially through your profession as a doctor, um, especially when you were in Cameroon, you always had this compassion and you showed that we always shadowed you, sort of, especially in the children's world. We always made sure that we left children happier than they met us. And that has continued through our lives. You, we, we learned a very philanthropic aspect of life at a very early age and that has also transmitted to our adulthood you know just the aspect of you know trying to understand where people are coming from and trying to really help wherever we can whether it's through an organization or just helping people you know i feel like that has been one of the biggest lessons and that has been one of the biggest things that you know i learned in life through byung's experience in addition to the fact that I learned to really nurture the sense of nurturing people at a very, very young age because I had to nurture my own brother. I'll just go around and ask, you know, everybody. I'll go around and ask everybody, like, you know, what it was like one thing that you learned from this experience and how has this experience impacted you? We're just going to keep it to one one response. Ma, you can go first. Uh, for me, like you said, it's also been just um, empathy, especially with other families who have disabled kids. Yeah, uh, it makes you empathize more with them. And like when you actually tell people that you know what you're going through, you feel like you actually just understand where they're coming from because you actually experience and seen your parents experience the same thing. So, um, right. yeah. Um, Musaga, what about you? Yes, it's been, I mean, it's been the same thing, but empathy, definitely. Empathy and compassion. Um, just a lot about hope and trust. And um, in my case, you know, it's been 
a different dimension of being able to connect with someone at a different level. You know, clearly Bayong doesn't speak or walk, so he's never really been able to use those channels um, to interact with me, but I still feel that that bond, that very deep bond with him that even when I call mom and dad in the mornings and he's in the background, either playing or having an episode, I can I can feel that connection. And um, the other thing is, it's also taught me about the importance of, of family and staying together and um, supporting each other, especially when things are bad. Um, just watching how mom and dad have been able to handle um, the family. And on top of all the issues that um, they've had to deal with um, concerning buying, they've still been able to extend that hand of kindness and support to the extended family. And just looking from the outside, a lot of people think it's easy or can't really explain personally how they do it, you know, because this is a lot to handle within. And most people would immediately focus on that immediate responsibility they have. But that kindness to be to still be able to not just look out for your your immediate family, but still show concern for for you know the larger family and even people that are not family. I mean, mom adopted a lot of and sponsored a lot of kids. It's, it's a very big lesson that I cherish a lot. And um, the last thing is just being grateful, you know. Um, as bad as the circumstances are, and as much as they would be on our control, I still always think back to the fact that with all of that, we're still able to take care of Bayong in a way that he has a decent life. And I always, it always goes through my mind, what if mom and dad, we didn't have the opportunities they have to be able to provide for us like they've been able to. What will his life be like in those circumstances? And so that makes me very grateful for where we are and what we're able to do. The fact that we're able to, you know, find and, and have someone take care of him and give him, you know, as much care as we can offer um, makes me very grateful because there's, there's a lot of families that probably don't even have kids with this much of uh, an impairment, but the means to show them that care or even dedicate the time that those kids need. It's a challenge for a lot of people. So um, I'm extremely grateful for you and dad, mom, and, and for all the opportunity that you guys have been able to show us and, and our brother. Thank you very much for that. Um, Mohamed, what do you guys have to say about how uh, Bayong's story has impacted you? Um, it changed our life completely. And uh, I think we are better people as we can adjust to any condition in life. Because uh, some of our friends, I remember once when one of our friends uh, was doing his sports and he came and reached our house. And when he saw him, he said, you people can even smile. You know, he was surprised. But we said, that is life, and we have accepted 
what life can bring to any person. Because some, most people will not accept that type of a condition, but we did, and uh, we are still going on strong. We will encourage uh, any other person to, to emulate our example. Uh, on my part, I think the idea to take care of the needy in our community is still very strong in me. And you know that I've always said, if anybody was to honor my body when he lies in state, is to make sure that you sponsor maybe one orphan, uh, one person that needs help. It could be a disabled child. It could be an orphan. But do it to anybody that needs help and that is not related to the family. I think that desire to give back, to appreciate God, that he tells us that he gives us the work, but he also gives us the means. And I think that it's because he gave us bio that he opened the doors to where we are. And all of us have benefited from it. And the bio that we're talking about is benefited because how many children or even adults who have every other sense intact have traveled Bayon can travel to any part of the world that he wants. We are the ones who are limiting it because we want to have our own time. But he can travel and he has proved it that he can travel. And so uh, we can only say it's not a situation of pity. It's a, a situation of he is just as any normal human being with the challenge that he cannot walk or speak or do things. Of all you know, Bayon will not take what he doesn't want. So he has a feeling he knows what he wants and he will accept it. Right. Thank you. Thank you very much. That Now, my next question, which is basically one of the last questions I have, is, is directed to mom and dad. What will you tell other parents about, you know, other parents who are actually going through the same issues? So other parents and other families as well who have children with special needs. Uh, personally, um, the Bible is our strength. No God. And uh, hang in there. Do not consider your situation as unfortunate or as a curse. We don't know why, but accept it and accept it wholeheartedly and work towards it. And the benefits are great. We have seen it in our lives. The benefits are great. Dad, I will also say, anybody who is finds himself in that type of a situation, should just say, thank you, Lord, for what I have. And that God never forgets any person that if he gives you a burden, he will give you a way to solve it. So if we can accept anything that we have wholeheartedly, mm-hmm. then it will be good for us. And it will be good for anybody in that type of a situation, not to go around caring for sympathy or that type of thing but to say, I will do my awful best with what I have. Thank you. Thank you. So I know like everything based on our story, everything that we have been through, it's very obvious that a lot of our listeners could realize that we went through a lot, especially when it had to do with the outlook from the outside, from those in the community. So I just want us to end by passing a message to the members of especially the African community, because I feel like it's very important for us to be sensitive about certain things and certain experiences that people go through, especially when you can 
cannot understand because I know a lot of these things that happened happened at a time when it was very new to everybody. Everybody was giving opinions. Everybody was giving criticism and all of that. So I want us to just end this conversation by giving advice to members of our community, that's the African community, on how to be more sensitive towards patients and families, actually, who have special needs children. So my own advice is just that, Again, and this is something that I say in almost every episode, we have to learn how to be more sensitive to other people's experiences that are different from ours because you never really know what people are going through. I mean, we as a family, we have always been together. I'm sure a lot of people would definitely be very shocked about this story because this is the first time that I have really like sat in a platform as such and spoken about this. And this is actually the first time that we all have come together to talk about this. So there's a lot of people in my life who don't even know this side of my my story. And I feel like they're going to learn a lot more about me or maybe look at me differently, hopefully more respectfully. But, you know, I just want to call on members of our community to really be sensitive and be compassionate, show compassion to people who are going through stuff and also show understanding to know that people handle things differently. What may not look like a big deal to you um, it could actually be a big deal to people, but they just choose to not make it seem that way, you know. So I don't know what you have to add to that, Ma. Yeah, like you said, people must be more compassionate and not just... You know, always sometimes like you trying to actually help somebody, you end up actually not helping them. Just as we've, we might have um, learned from what mom and dad went through with Bayern through the years, going to places where they didn't really believe. But And also I think we need to listen to people more like when they talk because mom related that she actually went into a depressive state because no one actually listened to her like when she was concerned about her child being sick not just from a medical point of view but just as a parent as well like everyone like you always just fear you know you fear um whether you're and wish for your kids to be okay and normal but I mean, like that said, like God doesn't give you more than you can handle. And we must just embrace um, the situation. Sometimes it might be difficult for other people to accept it. But like, I think God never fails us. He'll always give us a way out and and just sustain us. And whoever might find themselves in the same situation or even worse, um, they mustn't give up um, or they mustn't let let it bring them back in life because if there's one thing um I found like mom and dad they didn't let this like mom I have let it um impact her negatively at the beginning like um give her a like a um, a hold down so to say um in her progress especially like career wise like she said it a few times but like it didn't stop her from attaining her full potential say um, and I think that's something very important that we can take out of. And yeah, and the importance of family and just, you know, your family is your everything. You support each other. And um, yeah, with love and your continuous care, I think it'll be fine. Thank you. Musaga, what do you have to add about that the advice to the community? Um, I mean, you guys have captured a big part of it. But um, two things I have to say to add is one there's always going to be tough times right but 
family is 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 critical and sticking together when things get tough um you cannot go into the blame game you have to focus on the issue and support each other and for that family is not limited to to blood right i mean mom highlighted pa kengu and good dr kwende who were very um instrumental in giving them support when they needed it the most and then the other thing is just as you interact with people you know try to make the effort to learn about the people around you um what your struggles are what your needs are and and see how you can support them and i mean it also takes learning on the best way to support them because people are going through a lot of things and it's not always apparent a lot of times what people are going through and so if a way to show people care and concern um is to make that effort to learn about people's struggles and and be there for the people that you care for in your own way um but also learn from them the best way you can be there for them thank you very much so mom and dad i want you guys to round this up with your advice to the community especially about being sensitive to families that are going through what we went through what we are still going through actually what do you guys have to say about that my advice is that people should not be ashamed of whatever they have because when we travel sometimes with bayom you see people looking at us as we are from the moon but because most people who usually leave such people behind and not move with them but i think they should be proud of what they have and in some places people who have this type of uh, children they will just go and lock them up or do those, do that type of thing but i would advise anybody that they should be proud of what they have give them the best conditions and uh, who knows god will also give them a blessing they should not think that it is a curse they should think that it is what they deserve and what they have they should improve on it and uh, make all the 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 they the, the should be proud and make all the good use display what they have and i think that is something that people should not forget thank you mommy um what do you have to say um if byon was the only child that i had i would still love him as my child i'll be a proud mother i would tell anybody i've passed the test of motherhood and so nobody should try to call any child any person that god has created in his own image and obanje obanje as you rightly said is a word used in some parts of nigeria which means the child is a, a witch or a wizard whatever it is nobody can breathe breath into a human being and that person will live and so i am proud that the creator who gave him to me knows what his future will be like and to him be the glory because he is in control. Thank you. So I I want to thank take this opportunity to thank you guys. Thank all of you guys for this very very tough but necessary conversation. I don't think I've ever seen any of us being this vulnerable and I feel like that's the whole point about having such conversations like coming together and opening up and hopefully this conversation as well will inspire other people and other families to really share 
how they feel about certain things that go on within them. And I just want to thank you guys. I appreciate you guys so much. It's been such, you know, an awesome journey of life living life with you guys especially you mom and dad thank you guys for being strong for doing everything in your power to give us that normal life regardless of all the other things that go on behind the scenes we're extremely grateful and i believe i speak on behalf of man musaga and even byung we're extremely grateful for all the care and all the love that you guys have shown to us and thank you to mom musaga and even byung as well for sticking beside me and for dealing with me and yeah thank you for also giving me such a hard time <laughs> but that's what makes life enjoyable with you guys and i hope that this conversation doesn't end here and it can inspire other people like i said to hold these conversations in their own circles and you know hopefully the conversation inspires us to be more compassionate to have more empathy and to show love to one another without judging so thank you guys for coming on here and i'll see you in the next episode Bye. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to our show. If you want to participate in the show or find out more helpful resources, then visit www.livingafricanpodcast.com for more information or email us at hello@livingafricanpodcast.com. Also, don't forget to connect with us on all social media platforms at Living African Podcast. You can also connect with Anyo directly on Facebook or Instagram at Anyo Fombard. Thanks again for listening and let's not forget to be more understanding and nicer to one another.